Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. My butt is in Greece on vacation, but I have pre-recorded a couple episodes of Ask Shane Anything to make sure you guys have some stuff to watch while I'm out. Now, as always, people who pledge at $7 or more per month get to ask the questions, but everybody gets to watch the answers. You guys have asked some great questions once again. Let's get straight to them. Our first question today comes from Patreon, from Patrick Perez Dominguez. Do you think college slash university tuition is too expensive? With loan forgiveness, do you see an end to it or does it delay the inevitable? Okay, this has been a big topic here over the last couple months. The Biden administration has forgiven at least a little bit of student loan debt for people who have graduated who aren't making a lot of money with their degree yet. Um, I went to college. I graduated, I think I had somewhere around 50000 in debt by the time it was all said and done. Now, I'll just be honest with you, I paid for college all myself. My parents did not give me a penny for college, so I had to pay for it all out of my own pocket. And so, obviously, like a lot of people, I couldn't afford it. The only way I could do it was to take out student loans. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about my experience with student loans. It's tough because <laughs> student loans actually caused me to make a fatal poor decision in life and at the time I don't think anyone thought it was a poor decision and honestly even up until 10 years ago I probably didn't think it was a poor decision but it was I had been running my own gaming website when I was in college and it was called street level gaming and I had run it for a couple years it was doing okay like I was making a little bit of money off of it every month from like GeoCities ad revenue or something like that so it was doing okay um, but when I graduated, I applied for a job at GameSpot, and I flew out, interviewed, got the job, and with very little deliberation, I accepted the job. Um, went to San Francisco, working for poverty wages, basically, and then you know the rest of the story. If you've been a sifter or if you've been one of our patrons, you know my story. You know what happened after that. Um, that was a mistake. <laughs> I, I should have kept running my own website. I would be filthy rich right now. There were, I'm not exaggerating, there were probably four gaming websites on the entire internet at that time. And I was running one of them. I had launched one of them. So that was a mistake. And so, and the reason I made that decision was because after you graduate from college, you have like a six month period a grace period before you have to start paying your loans back. And that convinced me to quit running my own website, and move out to California to work at GameSpot. It was that purely, that I knew in six months I was going to have to spend four or $500 a month for my student loans, and I didn't have the money, and I didn't have a job where I could afford it. So I was like, well, I have this job offer in California, working at, at the time, what was the biggest gaming website. And I was like, ah, oh, it's not a bad alternative. And truth be told, it wasn't. It wasn't a bad alternative at all. So I graduated ultimately, I had around 50,000 in student loans, started working in California for GameSpot, was making poverty wages, could barely make my minimum student loan payments for the first two years really I lived in California. And then I got promoted and was making more money and it became more manageable. But what I ended up doing was I had like five or six different loans and I consolidated them all into one loan and one payment and then Instead of having the payoff number be like 10 years, I set it for like 20 years. And 
that was another mistake. <laughs> because when it was all said and done, it was nice to only have to pay a couple hundred bucks a month on my student loans, but it dragged it out an extra decade, and I ended up paying way more in interest than I would have if I had just bit the bullet and paid the bigger amount every month. So that was a mistake too. Um, I don't, maybe it wasn't a mistake, maybe it was a necessity that I did that because I couldn't really afford to pay off the full amount. So anyway, I understand is what I'm getting at. I've gone through this, I know what it's like, but at the same time, I really do not know what it's like because tuition, since I went to college, has skyrocketed. I have lots of cousins, nieces, and nephews, um, and a lot of my cousins have already went to college or are almost finished with college, and the amount of money that they're paying for everything is just outrageous. For example, I lived off campus after my first semester at Temple in Philadelphia in an apartment. And I think my rent for my apartment was like $400 a month. Like I was staying with a good friend and I think our total rent was 800 and we split it and we paid $400. So you'll never find a place to live for that now. In most, unless you're living somewhere really rural, you go to a college in a really small town, you might be able to find a place to live for that. But if you go to a major university with 30, 40,000 students, that's a city all on its own. That's by itself is going to drive the rent up. So cost of living has skyrocketed since I went to college. The cost of tuition, books, everything else has also completely skyrocketed. So I really don't know what it's like to go to college now. I thought it was crazy expensive when I went. It has just ballooned to this ungodly amount of money. A lot of people, when they graduate college now, instead of having 40 or 50 grand in debt like I was, they, they owe like $200,000. So something's gotta give here. The crazy part is my sister went to Pitt Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, they have a $5 billion war chest of cash at that university. $5 billion. That shows you how much profit these schools are making. And keep in mind, University of Pittsburgh is a state school where tuition is kept down at least a little bit. It's a public school, essentially. And still, people graduate from those schools with just ungodly amounts of debt. So I get it. I am not the guy who paid off his student loans and now is salty that some of you guys are getting some of your loans forgiven. The loans have ballooned and they're predatory. I remember being on campus when I was in college and there were just tables all over campus with people giving away credit cards. That was kind of the scam back then. They will give you a credit card. They know you're irresponsible. They know you're broke. They know you're going to max out that credit card and you're going to owe them money for a really long time. That was kind of the scam that was going on when I was in college. Now the scam actually comes from the university. So Biden only forgave, I think it was like $10,000. And here's the thing about that. That's actually not forgiving any of the loans. That $10,000 is just going to hack off some of the interest that the loan is going to make off of you. And first of all, I do not think that any loans for education should make a profit. If that's something that the government needs to set up on its own so that it's not a private business like a bank, because a bank, I get it. It's like we're in business to make money. So just take those loans away from the private banks and let the government handle all the financial aid. And then don't make money off people's student loans. It's insane that that happens. So people are like, oh, you're giving them $10,000. They're not giving them $10,000. They're basically just hacking off some of the interest that these predatory loans and these predatory lenders have been getting you guys to sign. So I'll just be honest with you, I have no problem with some of the 
debt being forgiven because it's not even really debt. You're taking nothing off your principal at all. So I'm not the guy who paid his way through college and is now is angry that you guys are getting some relief. I am all for it. Now your question is, well, your one question was, is tuition too expensive? Absolutely, it's too expensive. It's outrageous right now. Your other question was, um, will loan forgiveness, do you see an end or does it delay the inevitable? Meaning this loan forgiveness, will it help you or is it just delaying? Yes, it is delaying the inevitable. Let's just be honest. Like you're still going to graduate with a crazy amount of debt and that $10,000 is going to be like a drop in the bucket. It's just going to save you from giving profit to whoever loaned you the money. So uh, here's the thing. Like, this is a first step. You probably never even dreamed that you would have got this $10,000. So if you like it and you think it's a good idea, maybe you should look at who the people are who decided to enact this and maybe support them and vote for them in the future. Obviously, if you're someone who disagrees with this, you should probably vote for and support the people who are against student loan forgiveness. Personally, I am all for it. Our next question comes from Sifted from Joaquim Dragoon. If you could put together an Avengers-like team for a new gaming journalism site, who would you put on your team and why? P.S. I hope Marcus Beer makes the team. And actually, Zet Saber followed up with a very similar question. I'm going to answer both those questions in this one response. And here's his question, which is, you are asked to put the band back together. Who do you get? You can interpret this as loosely as you want. So there's two questions I'm answering here. One is if I could get the band back together, meaning if I could work with people I've worked with in the past, who would that be? And then the other question is who would make the cut for an all-star games journalism team, in my opinion. So the reason I'm answering these both together is because they're kind of one and the same. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Like most of the people I work with game tra with that game trailers, they're all-stars, man. People don't realize that like, I know I've said this before, and I just feel like things I say just go in one ear and out the other all the time. But listen to this. We were competing with IGN with, like, six guys. We had six editorial guys. IGN's editorial team was, like, I'm not exaggerating, like 40 or 50 people. So can I think of anybody at IGN that I could add to my team that could kick ass like my guys and girls did? No, I can't. And... I'm going to produce video. I'm not going to do a lot of written stuff. And so the guys from GT also very well versed in creating any kind of video. So if I were to put together an all-star team, I'll just be honest with you. It would mostly be the GT crew. They're the best. They were the best. There's no doubt about it. My guys, each one of my guys was good for three guys from another outlet. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. They were amazing. They're still amazing. And so... Getting the band back together, it would mostly be my GT squad again. They're good. They're still doing it. They're still good. So they would be a big part of it. Would I bring Marcus on? Probably. Um, but really, the talent that I would bring on to front all the hard work that we're doing, it would be Adam and Morgan. They're great. They were great as a tandem. They have a lot of chemistry between each other. Would they do it? Hell no. They would. Ne Morgan definitely would never do it. But as far as talent is concerned, the people that I would put on camera to represent all the hard work that the team behind the scenes is doing, it would be Adam and Morgan. Now, I start thinking about like video editor, because you don't realize it, there are important parts of the machine that you never got to see. So video editors, we had some great video editors. We had a guy named Patrick Coughlin, who was like our best editor. I taught him everything I knew, and then he went to IGN. And then suddenly overnight, 
All IGN's content started looking and sounding exactly like game trailers. And I don't begrudge Patrick. He, I think he got a slight raise, but really he went to IGN because he had, he was moving with his girlfriend to San Francisco, the Bay Area. And so he got a job there. I do not begrudge him. I love Patrick. In fact, he's an awesome guy. Um, but he would be like my editor. Um, and then, like, again, there's a lot of jobs you don't even really care about that are behind the scenes, and I would put people together from that. But other content people that weren't at GT that I would put on my all-star team, Ryan Davis, may he rest in peace. I would love to work with him again. He was amazing. He was funny, smart, insightful, all the good things. I loved Ryan Davis. He was, I've said this before, I think, on this show, that, you know, when I got to San Francisco, he was one of the first people to really take me under his wing a little bit and kind of show me around the city and, you know, teach me about the ins and outs of the city and all that kind of stuff. So I will always owe him a debt of gratitude and I love him and I miss him and he would definitely be a part of it. There's another guy I worked with at GameSpot that you guys probably don't know. His name is uh, Giancarlo Veronini. I actually tried to hire him at Game Trailers and he turned me down. <laughs> Oddly enough, I brought him down here to LA to interview and I thought he was on board and he was loving it and he turned me down. He was one of the few people I interviewed at Game Trailers who didn't take the job after I interviewed them. Uh, but I don't care. Like, I still love him. He's just a really good dude, a really good writer, very passionate about games. Um, one of those guys that just puts his head down and just gets stuff done and does it really well. So I would like to bring him along too. Um, Obviously, Matt would be a part of it. Matt's been a part of my life for like almost 20 years now. So, you know, obviously he'd be a part of it as well. But for the most part, those three guys, probably Marcus, and then the GT crew. And I think that satisfies both of the questions um, as far as getting the band back together and the all-star journalism team. All right, our last question for this episode comes from Sifted from Mountain Lifter. When a game has too much hype or expectations surrounding it, it can all go wrong because the goals can then be too lofty to be realistically achieved. With one month left to go until God of War Ragnarok releases, what is your prediction for the game based on info or your gut? Will it be divisive like The Last of Us Part 2, broken like Cyberpunk 2077, or will it recapture the magic of God of War from 2018? That's a great question, and I'll say this. I rarely get timely questions like this on Ask Shane Anything. Usually, for whatever reason, and I think part of it is I always say, like, give me questions that'll make sense, like, a few weeks from now. Same stuff we say for Pactor Factor. I think sometimes you guys go too far the other direction and never ask me any stuff about things that are about to happen. So, Mountain Lifter, thank you for asking me about God of War Ragnarok. Um, you're right. A lot of times, hype can get out of control for certain games, and I think you plucked a perfect game for that, Cyberpunk 2077. The hype just got completely out of control. It spiraled out of control. I was partially responsible for that. I'll admit it. Um, I hyped that game up to no end. I do think ultimately the game, other than its excessive bugs, ended up being a pretty good game. So I don't feel too terrible about hyping it up. Not like I feel terrible about hyping up PlayStation VR anyway. <laughs> so you're right. Things can spiral out of control. And particularly with Cyberpunk, there wasn't a previous game other than The Witcher. But there wasn't a previous Cyberpunk game that we could point to and we could say, well, this game was already great. How could they screw up the sequel? But that is where we're at with God of War Ragnarok. Now, God of War from 2018 was my game of the generation for last generation. It was my game of the year in 2018. It was also my game of the generation. It is the game that I enjoyed playing through the first time probably more than any other game for the last 
I don't know, seven years, eight years, yes, even more than The Last of Us Part Two. yes, even more than Red Dead Redemption 2, God of War was right in my wheelhouse, just the right amount of fantasy, just the right amount of reality, just the perfect gameplay, just the right amount of sentimentality, I just felt like it nailed it. So, the danger here is that a project, a sequel to a project like that can often go in a couple of different directions. They can keep aiming for the sky and they could try something completely new. And that could be hit or miss. That could be like 50-50, whether that actually works out. Or they could create a sequel that is very much like its predecessor. And I believe that that is one, what is going to happen. And two, that that is the best approach. We are not yet burnt out on what was offered in God of War from 2018. A lot of the concepts and ideas haven't even really been copied by other developers, which is kind of surprising to be perfectly honest with you. So there aren't other analogs out there that have satiated us for this type of a game. Um, so one, I think it's fiscally smart and creatively smart to create a sequel that's true to its predecessor from 2018. And I think that is what's going to happen. I feel like a lot of the revelations and the massive changes and tweaks that caught us off guard in 2018 are probably not going to be there this time. I feel like the game is going to have to thrive on its story or its new weapons or some new gameplay element that Sony Santa Monica manages to put into the game. Otherwise, I do feel like people may view it as a disappointment because the thing is, is once you, when you launch a game like the game from 2018, it does so many different things from the franchise's past and does things differently from a lot of its contemporaries at the time, it sets the bar so high. And it's, if you think back through the games industry, how many games like God of War from 2018 can you remember? There aren't that many. They come once every seven, eight years. And even someone who's been doing this for you know, 25 years almost at this point, which is mind-blowing, there's only been a handful of games that were as good as God of War from 2018. So the one thing I will say is it, I feel like almost no matter what, people are going to be disappointed in God of War Ragnarok. It could be vastly superior to God of War from 2018, but I just don't feel like it's going to have all those refreshing new elements that caught us off guard back then to carry it. The story's gonna have to carry it. The gameplay's gonna have to carry it. The overall quality of the game is going to have to improve in every direction in order for people to accept it the same way as they did the game from 2018. So I wouldn't say it's destined to fail. It's not gonna fail. It's gonna review well and it's gonna sell very, very well. But I do think that the hype around the game is not going to be as intense as it was for its predecessor. All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. Again, I'm off in Greece. I'm not even here. You're talking to someone who's not even here. Um, but I hope you enjoy these episodes that I'm doing for you guys to have some content flowing through Sifted.net and through our Patreon. Again, thanks to everybody who pledges at the Ask Shane tier or higher, which is $7 a month or more. If you want to ask questions in future episodes, you need to bump up your pledge to that amount. But as I always say, everybody gets to watch the show itself. So thanks again, and I'll see you guys soon.